Hi, my name is Joe Jackson. I'm a journalist, author, interviewer, broadcaster and podcaster. And I'm recording this introduction to my latest podcast on December the 8th, 2023. And I'm speaking from my home in Dublin City, Ireland, where the funeral of Shane McGowan took place today. It fired in me many feelings, mostly shadowed, reminding me, for example, that the world of rock music and the world of Irish music in particular lost three great talents this year. Christy Dignam, lead singer with Aslan, Sinead O'Connor and Shane McGowan. I am, as I said, a journalist, so I understand why when each of these musicians died, all of whom, incidentally, I interviewed and one of whom I knew socially also, namely Sinead. But, as I was saying, I understand why the media would be awash with tales of, say, Christie's heroin addiction, Sinead's early troubled family life, and Shane's use of drugs and alcohol. I've even talked with all three about such subjects. But in this podcast, which is the first in which I've drawn together three previous podcasts, I want to focus on the music they originally loved, and that, to a great degree, shaped their lives, and by extension, I guess, ours. Shane McGowan and I talked about that as far back as 1994 from my weekly interview slot in the Irish Times. But six years later, remembering how much my life had been changed as a child when I sat in a cinema and sang along with Elvis's wooden heart and felt I was flying into outer space, and then on my 10th birthday when I had a similar out-of-body experience after encountering rock and roll for the first time in one of his old singles called I Need Your Love Tonight, I based a radio series called Under the Influence on the premise of bringing musicians back to where it all began for them musically. Yet, I don't necessarily want this podcast to be chronological, so let me start circa 2000 with a clip from Sinead O'Connor simply because it turned out that she as a child had a similar experience listening to Elvis sing Wooden Heart. Copyright laws preclude me from playing the actual song, but no matter. I just wanted to bring it all back home for all three musicians to where music first gave meaning to their lives. Thank God it did, because their music now gives meaning to ours. And if there is a heaven, you can bet your ass that all three will be having what we Irish call a hoolie tonight. Let it begin. Ned O'Connor, one of the first albums you ever loved was a French version of Elvis's 40 Greatest Hits, and one of your favourites was this song, and you can sing along if you want. Great stuff. Sinead sang in English and Elvis sang in German. Who cares? Okay, you once, you once said that you realised even when you were, you were only a kid when you heard that album, mm. and you got this sense from Elvis that he was uh, angelic. Yeah, that he wasn't he wasn't quite human. A lot of the artists that we've been talking about are people who feel like that about that they sort of appeared almost from God only knows where, you know, that were very uh, unusual, obviously. And even obviously how he looked and everything is quite angelic looking, but there was just something about his personality and everything as well that wasn't quite... But you also would have later yeah. realised and many did that Elvis was incredibly sexy. I actually didn't because I was at the age where I was so young that that wasn't a, a factor. All right. in, in the whole attraction to him it was really his voice and, and yeah how he looked but it wasn't a sexual thing but he just looked angelic and he, even later you know. when you became aware of such things you didn't look at him that way no actually never no 
Okay, so Elvis, no. the, Elvis the Angel. But you also yeah. liked Elvis the uh, Rocker singing something like Jailhouse yeah, Rock. Yeah, Jailhouse Rock was, is probably my favourite, favourite, really, of everything that he does. Why? Yeah, so. I think you once said that it was because he could, uh, and I can quote you here, he could take something like being in prison and make it yeah, seem exactly. joyful. Yeah, exactly. That, that it was a, a story about people in a terrible situation making it fun and despite anything and the, the best way sometimes to get revenge is to be happy and have fun, do you know what I mean? So, and, and dance with a so, wooden chair. Yeah. <laughs> So you like so, Elvis as a rocker too, as well? Yeah, as I, I, well, I, yeah, but I, I love obviously the whole look of him as well—the whole rock look, the black leather gear, and the hair slicked back, and all that stuff. You know, like I definitely wanted to look like him. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You know, if, if I ever grew up, which I haven't. Okay, know. all right. But you also said yeah. that apart from just being that kind of macho rocker, he had that vulnerable and sensitive side, yeah, which is something yeah. that a lot of people miss. Yeah, God, you'd want to be blind, really, though, to miss it, wouldn't you? What sensitivity? Yeah. Like, he, he definitely had it in his voice, but certainly in, in his eyes and how he looked and everything, too. Yeah. When did you, um, I don't want to go into the details, but you, you have spoken very often of how you felt you had a troublesome childhood. When would you have felt that music can gives me, give me wings to fly above that or give me a sense of release beyond all that? Uh, when my brother Joseph came home when I was 11 with a copy of Slow Train coming, the Bob Dylan album, and I heard uh, Precious Angel, and that just blew my mind and rocked my world streaked through my universe. Was that the first time you realised music can take you beyond whatever shadows are in your own home life or heart? I think I always did to a certain extent. Like um, my parents were both very musical and both were singers, um, but but they had a very broad range of musical taste as well. So there's there was a a kind of a soundtrack going on right from the age of zero. As soon as you were born, you were in a house listening to records. In fact, while my mother was pregnant, we were all listening to records, you know, so my mother was very into John Lennon. Okay. So from the time I was a tiny baby, he had been a presence. Do you know what I mean? And she was also into John McCormick. And my father was into like, uh, I we used to call him Nicker Baccarini just to drive my dad mad, <laughs> but you know, Baccarini and all that kind of stuff. So we were hearing things right from a very early age. And I think particularly the, the things that my mother was listening to were more rock and roll and kind of funky. Do you know what I mean? And John Lennon and stuff like that. So and the Beatles you... were obviously always in the in the background hugely. Like we used to drive along the car singing Yellow Submarine when I was tiny, like, you know. And we're going to play Precious them. Angel. Why that? Uh, I guess just because it's the first tune I heard off that album and it is probably the song of, of all songs that just completely and utterly changed my whole world and made me at the age of 11 want to be a singer and not only want to be a singer but want to be a priest and want to be you know someone who represented spirituality in the world you know okay christy dignan welcome to under the influence i've just read your biography and uh this is christy dignan and i saw the line it was my dad who gave me my first love of music so are we going to kick off with john mccormick yeah well that's that's where it all started off with me you know he's uh he used to make the dinner on a Sunday. I used to never see my dad kind of is in a poster and CAA, a coach trimmer. So he worked in overtime a lot and I used to see him because he'd be gone to work when I'd be getting up and be, he'd be in bed by the time he got back. So Sunday was the day we saw him and he used to do the dinner on Sunday and he'd promise his uh, John McCormick album or Enrico Caruso. So I used to listen to all that stuff, you know, and to me, to this day, I still have a, a, a great fondness for it. I love it, you know. But did that collide with your love of rock and roll or were you even listening to rock and roll at the time? I didn't even know what rock and roll was then, okay. you know. To me, I remember coming out singing, uh, there was this song called uh, Your Tiny Hand Is Frozen. Oh, yeah. And I remember singing that and the, ba- the lads on the street would be singing kind of slayed songs, or, you know. And I was saying, no, but you not hear this one. You're looking at me like some sort of space. <laughs> We have to, you, they were they were looking at you how like some sort of space cadet you know <laughs> so. 
But at the same time, I mean, you did uh, music of Slade. When you were coming of age, it was music of Slade. And it was, I know there's another guy who I think is sorely underrated that you said most of your mates were singing the songs of and you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, well, Gilbert O'Sullivan. That was, I kind of mentioned that in the, in the book and the way it was kind of, the way it came out was as if I was not, in the, Gilbert to me was one of my first and to this day, I still think he's one of the most underrated songwriters on, on earth, you know. And there's two, there's two artists well, three in the world that when I listen to their music, I feel so inadequate. I want to stop, you know. And okay. Gilbert is one of them, you know. Okay, let's. Why don't we kick up? Would Gilbert be a good place to start? Absolutely. Yeah. So, and n- don't have alone again because that'll have us all crying before the show even gets started. So, what do you? <laughs> well, nothing rhymes as a cracker. It's great. It's a great. The lyrics again. This yeah. these rolling rhymes and all that. Yeah, it's the way he fits lyrics in. You know, um, when drinking my wine, I've been a goodbye on my girlfriend. And a while in the course of my duty, I perform an unfortunate Would you varnish me so unbelievably so? Never again will I make that mistake. Like this feeling inside me could never deny me the right to be wrong if I choose, and this pleasure I get from say winning. And it's just as a sing song. If I spoke those lyrics, there's a sing song thing. But he doesn't go, there was a man with a cat who wore a black hat. Right. He, he puts, right. like, a, he has a thing with uh, shoes and about the use in one of his songs. Like he has use as in you people, you know, things like that. He does things that. I think anybody else of a lesser talent would sound absolutely cheesy down, but because he's so talented, you know, you don't the cheese doesn't come near it because cheese is so, so far from your, your, your kind of frame of mind, you know. Okay, so I think we should give Gilbert a break because, I mean, when you were rolling off those rhymes there, I was thinking if Bob Dylan had written that, it'd be regarded as a classic. Absolutely, but poor old yeah. Gilbert, who, let's not forget, is Irish and was one of the first Irish rock stars, so let's hear Gilbert O'Sullivan. Yeah, and like just before you go into the nothing rhymes, like he's trying to say that nothing's fitting together in the world and it's a bit confusing to him. And how he describes that is, you know, nothing old, nothing new, nothing ventured. Nothing, uh, nothing older than time, nothing sweeter than rhymes, nothing physically, recklessly, hopelessly, hopelessly blind, and it's nothing rhymes, you know, and it's like nothing's rhyming here, what's going right, on? Right, and right. For, like, he's not saying, you know, there's a kid out there not eating food and it's not right, and there's a bloke out there with a job and that's not right. He's saying it in a very kind of, you know, symbolic way, and he does it beautifully, you know. Here you go, Gilbert. <laughs> that's a pretty good start, Christy. Yeah. Okay, uh, yeah. Christy Dignum, uh, you were mentioning there that I mean, not everybody I know would read uh, Gilda Sullivan's lyrics in that sense, but I know that also the um, social echoes in Bob Dylan's work had a big impact on yeah. you. And your dad and you, I believe, used to talk about stuff like this. So yeah. it seemed right to you. you. You hooked in at that level. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, One thing my dad gave me, you know, and I've mentioned this again in the, in, in the book. It's, I hate saying that because I feel like I'm plugging, you know. But anyway... Um, he, ha- he, he had his vibe with the clergy, you know, and he gave us a healthy... Anti-anti-questioning. Anti, oh, yeah. 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 He, well, basically what happened was he was kind of very um, poor as a kid, you know, and his, um, his mother used to give a shilling to the church collection every week and he was saying there was times he wouldn't have money for food, but the church got their shilling, you know. And when his mother died, they were getting the priest to come round to, to give her the last rites or whatever, or the ninth, and uh, they hadn't got the half crown or whatever, and the priest wouldn't come. And I remember that that, that turned him off, kind okay. of the clergy. Okay. And he was always telling us about how much land he owned as a kid growing up, you know. So to me, you know, he gave it, and he, he also, like, he was, he, was very, he was very conscious of injustices and stuff, and he, he gave us a healthy, a healthy kind of way of looking and questioning things without just accepting them on face value, you know. So... I was listening to music and loved music and I remember hearing somebody saying there's two types of music, good and bad music. So to me, you know, a good Slade song is as good as a good John Caruso, uh, John McCormick song or whatever, you know. So anyway, 
I thought most songs were about boy girl kind of thing, you know. And then I, I listened to the Times Were Changing, the Bob Dylan album. And to me, to hear the song, that, that the lyrics were as if not more important than the actual melody of the song was a complete revelation. It was like a watershed. And I thought, hold on, we can write, you can write here about the stuff that that's frustrating and kind of angering me now as a, as a teenager. I can actually put that to music. It doesn't have to be about boy, girl and Johnny met Mary at the dance hall kind of thing, you know. So that was a huge and that was that, that day I, I made the decision to, to dedicate myself to music, you know, and being, you know, writing songs. I don't know about you. But ever since I was 14 or so and realised that a song by Elvis Presley called Lonely Man seemed to be able to articulate better than I could feelings I had such as the loneliness after my parents parted, music has spoken for me from a core level. Some of Shane's songs do that for me, as they do for millions of people, one of whom was at the time of this interview, Christy Moore probably still is. And I told Shane that, hoping to find out what singers and songwriters and writers and artists did that for him. I interviewed Christy and in the Times he said you speak for him. That you're, Christy Moore. He said you give a tilt to a lyric or a worldview that speaks for something he can't say. So who says that for you? You know what I mean? He felt... I don't that, know what you mean, though. Christy feels that your view on the world, your view on love, on relationships, it comes from just the tilted angle that he identifies with. You know, and it's not straight down the line. Yeah. So it can be a twist you give a lyric, which seems to be very gentle and poetic, and then you give it that tilt of humour. You know yeah. what I mean? And Christy said, wherever he's singing from, yeah. I feel it in there. Yeah. So what I'm asking you is who does that for you or who would do that for you? It doesn't have to be singers, obviously. It can be a writer. Oh, as far as Lou Reed, yeah, would be would be one, yeah. Um, Ronnie Drew, yeah, yeah, and Luke Kelly when he was right round. <laughs> Hendrix is always very special to me. Yeah, still is very special. Right. Um. <laughs> A lot of great jazz men, you know, like Charlie Park, yeah, Train, yeah, and you know, um, yeah, the blue, just the blue note catalog, the blue note catalog, yeah, 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 yeah. and like, um, and also sort of like great rock and roll singers, like, and soul singers, like. With your singer-songwriters like Sam Cooke and yeah, people yeah. like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know. Who's Smokey? Smokey Robinson. Yeah. yeah. As Dylan called him, one of the best pop poets. What? Dylan called him one of the best pop Much poets. Much better pop poet than Dylan. Yeah. Think so, yeah? Why? Because he's purer. It's a purer line. Because he's good. Yeah. <laughs> But he, yeah, you don't you don't appreciate Dylan as the the so-called greatest song poet of our generation and every other generation? No. Okay. Well, what what do you what to you is poetry and a lyric? I don't but, think about do you know? like that. You know, I just I just I think all this poetry thing is. I don't mean poetry as excusing pretentious. All right. Well, I may, maybe I meant just poetic or truthful. That's what we're talking about, the music who moves you at that level. If the pro word poetry is wrong for it. I mean, something 
when a lyric works on that level, if Dylan's doesn't, can you e easily identify what makes it work? It doesn't have to be a lyric. I mean, yeah, right. Hendrix, although Hendrix did write great lyrics, he spoke with his guitar as well. You know what I mean? Yeah, Coltrane speaks. Train and yeah. Train and Parker, they, they didn't write lyrics at all. Sure, you know sure, what I mean? They, sure. they, they spoke with their horns. You know? Right. Yeah. So and there's loads of other guys with it, you know what I mean? Like and um and uh and then there's people like uh Elvis and, and other great rock and roll singers and and black and white. Okay. Know? So you don't like the it's essentially mundane lyrics, you know what I mean? And uh but by their performance, you know, made them Made, made, made you find somebody, you know, Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So the word poetry is wrong for that. A pretentious way to describe it. So when your lyrics are thus described, do you just say pain in the ass? That's not what they're about? Because a lot of people do say that about your lyrics. Do you not like them being thus described as. Well, no, there's the lyrics. You know, All right. poetry is, is, is something you read or recite. You know, All right. You can recite it with music in the background, but lyrics are to be are, sung. Or to be sung. Yeah. Along to the melody of the music. Right. Know, really. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a different discipline. Yeah. Yeah. Different, totally different thing. I'm a musician. Yeah. Songwriter. But isn't singer. Hi, this is Joe Jackson. I thank you for listening to this edition of the Joe Jackson Interviews podcast. And if you want to read any of the articles I wrote about those artists, check out my website, joejacksoninterviewer.org.